pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 1. I think this is a very important message for all of us, just as much as it was back in the day. Because how easy is it for us to be distracted by the things of this life? And we fail to do that which is the most important thing. And I think we all need to be called back to this, what God wants for us. And this is the call of the people to build. This is the theme of chapter 1. And we know that our system of life, we strive hard to make men's uh, ends meet to get ahead in life, and because of that, it's so easy to be self-absorbed and neglectful, neglectful of others, and as well as the Lord and his work. In fact, some of us become so self-centered, so focused on our own wants and needs that we actually dishonor the Lord. We bring harm to his name and damage our witness for him. And tragically, many of us fail to ever notice what is happening. That's a sad thing. We plug along, struggling in life and wondering why God is not blessing us. We wonder why life is so challenging, why it has often seemed so meaningless, why we never seem to get ahead or have enough. This is the same case with Israel. God called them out of Babylon where they were exiled and scattered. He called them to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. In fact, God gave them very specific instructions at first about what to do first, like Build the foundation. Build the God's house. Build the temple. But time passed. And they abandoned that purpose. They abandoned the call of God. The most important thing in their lives. The most important job God called them to do. And we pick up this context where the people were doing what they thought was good for their lives, they were distracted, they were self-absorbed, and then God called this messenger, Haggai, the prophet, this is 16 years after the time expired for them to build the temple. 16 years they were sidetracked. They did not finish the Lord's work. And then we see, we're going to see four messages in this book. And the interesting thing about the four messages is they have a very specific date. It's amazing. Let's see, what day? I wish I would have been a... Uh, uh, maybe a little ahead of myself. When was August, the last Sunday? 
Well, I never would have got it on the same day, but August 27th would have been the last Sunday of August, and this message was preached August 29th, 520 B.C. That's what verse 1 is telling us. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month. So, let's look at our outline, and we'll try to get through this today. Number one, the period and the prophet. Verse one just lays out the period and the prophet, talking about the time period and the prophet, who it was. So we have letter A, the period. As I mentioned, verse 1 tells us the exact date. And we're going to find out that all the messages that he preached, the very day was given. Now, the first message is very significant because it says that it was on the first day of each month. And on the first day of each month was a celebration. Go to Numbers 10.10. Come back. Hold your finger here. They would have been gathering. Also in the day of your gladness, in your solemn days, and in the beginning of beginnings of your month, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial. Before your God, I am the Lord your God. So he's saying in the beginnings of your months. That's the first day of the month. So this would be. A celebration. A special time. Now here they are. Celebrating what? Worship. Here they are celebrating a victorious life and worshiping in the temple. And yet the temple still lay in ruins. Do you see how God sends that message? This was a blemish on the whole community, obviously. Because the temple was to be the very center of their life. This was to be the symbol of God's presence in their lives. Now, I hope you understand today, we don't, we don't have the temple of Solomon like, and the tabernacle, but remember the tabernacle was in the center of the camp and all the tents were aligned around there in perfect order, all the tribes. God is a God of order. And then, obviously, The temple was built, and when the temple was built, all the people had to travel to Jerusalem three times a year, and they had to be faithful to worship. Don't get me wrong, they worshiped all the time in all the different festivities, but they had to go to God's house. And sometimes we miss that today because we live in a, this age of Christianity where, you know, 
no one knows what the church is or how important the church is or, you know, people think they can just live Christianity without the church. But that's not God's will. The church should be the center of our lives as the tabernacle was in the temple, meaning the church should be a high priority on your list because it is the place where we worship the Lord, where we hear from Him, where we offer our prayers. Certainly we don't bring our sacrifices like animals and all that, but we have spiritual sacrifices today that honor the Lord through His work, and His work is done through the church. And I hope that, of course, everyone here is being faithful today to the church. And that's good. But how many people miss that? They miss the importance of God's house. And so, this message highlighted the sad reality of the people's failure to obey the Lord. Because here he is in their midst, and he's saying, the house of the Lord lay in, in ruins, and yet your houses are all nice and fixed up. Very nice. That's what he was saying. So here we have the second year of Darius' reign. Now this is not the Darius mentioned in the book of Daniel, because that was Darius the Mede who conquered oh, the Babylons. This was Darius the first, Histapsis, who ruled Persia. In 522 to 486. So we have to look at, you know, a lot of the kings. I, I even think of uh, Botswana, even today, you know, the kings, they were comma, comma, Ian, comma was the son, comma, comma, comma. That was the king's names for many generations in, uh, in Botswana. And so that's how it is here. But the interesting thing that we need to note about this, that when Darius was on that throne, he uh, had a relatively peaceful reign. So they were able to live somewhat in peace. We know from the book of Ezra and Nehemiah that, yeah, they had some attacks from the people of the land, but as far as the world power is concerned, they had peace, right? They had support to do what God called them to do. So that's what rules out this excuse. <laughs> well, Lord, you understand it's too difficult for us to serve you right now. And so they couldn't blame their enemies. They couldn't blame the world powers for not being able to do God's work. 
So we see the period of time, verse 1. But then we see the prophet. It says, Came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel and, to J- and Joshua. So the prophet, letter B, we know very little about our prophet here. We don't know the name of his father or grandfather like so many of the other prophets. We do know this about his name. His name means festive. And some believe that he was born during one of the annual festivals or religious celebrations of Israel. That would be nice. Amen. It has been conjectured that Haggai was a very old man when he prophesied and that he had seen Solomon's temple in all of its glory. Remember when the people that wept when when the temple was done because some of the old folk, they saw the original temple in it. Some of them were weeping, some for sorrow, some for joy, you know. But we do have to understand this man... Uh, probably saw that glory before it was destroyed. That had to be a very uh, impacting thing upon someone's life, to see that destruction, to be carried away. So we know something about his messages. His messages were delivered in a span of about three and a half months. And what does he challenge them to do? To work. To work, to do, to finish the work. And these sermons were very effective. They moved the people to action and they resumed the work of the temple. Now, the prophet Haggai is also mentioned in the book of Ezra. Let's go back there. I think we did point that out. I remember that very distinctly. Ezra 5, 1 and 2. Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God, Helping them. Amen. So we see the context back there. Remember the book of Ezra. Now he did preach his first message to leaders. To the leaders uh, Zerubbabel and the high priest. What did he say? So Zerubbabel would be the civic leader, Joshua the high priest. And uh, Zerubbabel was born in Babylon, that's his name. You could see that, Zerubbabel, right? He was born in Babylon, that's his name, that's his meaning. But he was the grandson of King Jehoiakim. So there we have more like a 
priest, uh, royal, right? Royalty. And then you had, uh, you had uh, Joshua, the son of Josedek. His father was uh, the high priest in Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian invasion. So these men were key figures in the books of Ezra and Zechariah. And obviously, uh, we will, we'll be getting into Zechariah um, in a future date. So what's the key here? We know this. If you're going to move the people, then you got to win the support of the leaders. And so that's why God directed him to preach to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, the leaders. Then after addressing the leaders, he addresses the people. That leads us to verses 2 to 4, number 2. The problems of the people. The problems of the people. We see several different problems. Number one, or letter A, the problems of procrastination. Does anyone have that problem? Do you like putting things off? Brother Wes, you didn't look up yet. <laughs> you don't know that word. You never do it, right? Because you don't know it. <laughs> they put off the rebuilding of the temple. They made excuses that the time had not come. What does it say? Verse 2, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, the people say, this people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And I'm not going to go into this, but it is an interesting thought that they misinterpreted prophecy. And so, therefore, they were saying, well, the time's not here yet, Lord. There is a whole message there. I'm not going to bring that out today. I was So there is a problem of interpret, interpreting prophecy, and I do see that parallels today. Um, there's a lot of belief that of all millennialism and post-millennialism and pre-millennialism. That's what we believe, that Christ is coming before the millennium. I mean, you just read the Bible, take it for what it says. He comes to establish the kingdom and that he is literally coming, not figuratively. You know, a lot of these people who misinterpret prophecy. So I, I uh, early on in our ministry in Chile, it was the strangest thing, but... My eyes were opened up when I went down there as a missionary in two areas. I met some Baptists who believed that the rapture was in the middle of the tribulation. In fact, a lot of the missionaries that were Baptists down there, and I, I, and I don't want to belittle anyone from your roots, but they were from Mississippi. Mississippi. 
And uh, they were in an old Baptist association, and they're still churches are still existing down there. But they believed in the mid-tribulation. They didn't believe in pre-tribulation rapture. And I was like, whoa. So I got into my Bible, and I'm preaching this, you know, as a young preacher against the mid-tribulation. And that was one thing. And then I ran with... Uh, we, were, we moved from Santiago to Temuco and started a church in our house. And God had these people down there who thought they wanted church authority. And they wanted me to baptize them. And Boy, talk about baptism by fire. That's how a lot of missionaries start their ministry. Anyway, we got down there and then I found out that not only this guy, this one of the men, he was the leader, he actually believed in the pre-tribulation rapture, but he believed that the rapture, now you're, you probably have never heard this before, but it is out there, that the rapture happens after the millennium. <laughs> And that the millennium is now. That it's figurative. That's not literal. So they're looking at things it, that's going to happen as prophesied in the millennium. So I'm like, now i got to study this and that. And I could never literally get those people straight. And consequently, I didn't baptize them. <laughs> And I wasted about a year of my time. I say waste. Nothing is ever a waste. But I got tangled up with those people. And I remember uh, I was trying to get, you know, really be responsible and disciple them. And then this guy that I was telling you, their leader, he was Chilean. He came to the States, right? And uh, he came up here to train in the church who actually believed all that. And the other thing that mixes this all up is the fact, you know how some people, they have truth with error, right? They actually believe right on the Baptist church, on the church, on the local church. They were not universal church. They believe Jesus started, I mean, they had good, they believed in Baptist history like we believe, but they had all that prophecy completely different. And so I got a hold of, because what he was doing, I was teaching, and then those people that I was teaching were asking him, and he's up here in the States. And then I said to the, uh, I, I came back one time, I had to come back for something, I forget what it was, maybe it was, I think, Michelle's sister's wedding, Betty, when they, when they, she got married, um, we came back for a short trip, and I contacted that church pastor, and I said, hey, this man's in training. Can you, he's in your, under your training program. Can you talk to him? I said, I can't pastor these people if he's going to keep, if they're going to keep asking him. It's like, it's like, it would be like if everything I preach, you call Brother Reynolds. Hey, you know, Brother Castor said this, and what do you think, Brother Reynolds? I mean, 
You know what? I wouldn't even take this church if that was the case. I couldn't pastor you if that was the case. But Brother Reynolds would never do that, and he made that clear, and I know you know if you tried that, he would shut you down and say, hey, I'm not your pastor. Go see your pastor. And that's the kind of principle I was trying to say up there. Hey, I need to work with these people. He keeps interfering, and I can't get anywhere. And you know what they said to me? Oh, you're just jealous. <laughs> I'm like, oh, forget this. So I just gave up on that whole group. And, you know, they had this intellectualism. It was almost like that Gnosticism stuff, you know. Like they were so knowledgeable and they were so superior, but they didn't even, they weren't faithful to church. They weren't faithful disciples, they, but they had this knowledge. And that was really when I understood the movement, that's what it was about. Intellectualism, that they were superior because they had this, this view, like that's not popular in all the history of Baptist churches. I mean, this is unique. Positions Like, I even talk to old-time preachers up here. I'm like, hey, did you ever hear this? And they're like, no, but, yeah, it's out there. You know, and then I, this is weird. Anyway, all right, where are we? Wrong on prophecy. When <laughs> That was the whole point. Misinterpret prophecy, and it'll mess up your life. They were misinterpreting. The prophecy, so they're like, uh, it's not time. So we're going to wait till God. What they were talking about was the idea of the desolation, you know. So anyway, folks, it was uh, it, it, that point was interesting. I thought, you know, that is an interesting point that I haven't really considered, like, we know what God tells them, all right? The time, they say the time has not come. Why do they say that? That's the point. And some, uh, it was brought out, and I was challenged to understand it could be because they misinterpreted the word of God, therefore they weren't serving God as they should, and that could be the case with anyone today. Think about a Calvinist, a Calvinist who believes whether you preach the gospel, whether you pray for anyone, whether the church goes out of it, God's going to save who he wants no matter what anyway. So if you take that out to the logical extreme, why even witness? God's going to save him anyway. There's people who believe that. So wrong doctrine, wrong interpretation of the Bible can get you in big trouble in service with God. Amen. Amen. I'll say amen if no one else does. The problem of procrastination. That's pretty bad when I have to amen myself. So get with it. The people were making excuses. But they had enough time to do what? Well, 
Verse 4, it is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses. <laughs> See, they had time for their own life. They had time to do what they thought was best for themselves, such as earn money, increase their business, become more successful, take care of their family, spend time with friends, socialize, take, take it easy. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of these things were legitimate and even necessary, right? But not at the expense of neglecting God's work. That's where we go wrong, amen? When we neglect the work of the Lord and do all these things. When there's no time for God. And so, no matter... Even in their responsibilities, brethren, and we have responsibilities, all of us, but they should never, you know, God doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you these responsibilities, and I want you to put me first and serve me first, but I'll understand if you can only do your own responsibilities and never serve me. <laughs> God doesn't say that, amen. We may say that in our own minds. We may justify, well, you know, God understands, and, well, I, I'd rather take the high road, brethren. And so, now, one thing we know is this, God is patient. <laughs> God is patient. Sixteen years passed, so God is patient. And so they were allowing less significant concerns to get in the way of their highest calling. Brethren, we have a high calling. Our high calling is to glorify God. I mean, really, when you get down to it, the number one thing is God is glorified. That's what he says here. I will be glorified when you do my work. I will be glorified when you obey me. I will be glorified when you put me first. And we need to remember that, amen? So the problem of procrastination, let it be, it's a problem of priorities. Is it not? You guys need to go get a cup of coffee and wake up. There are times when the Lord seems distant, does he not? There are times when we cannot sense his presence, even though he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Even when we pray, it seems that the Lord is far, far away and even silent. Do you know, in times like this, we need to understand that God may be teaching us to spend more time with him and to fellowship with him more. And God is distant and seems distant in our lives more often than not is because we are disobeying him in some way. We are neglecting the word of God, and so God seems far away. Isn't that what they were doing? 
And you could be so distracted and focus on other things. Like I said, the less important takes the place of the most important. We allow the Lord, his work, to take the back seat when we put our pursuits in the front seat, in the driver's seat. We allow other relationships to intrude upon our relationship with the Lord. How common is that? We work diligently for our own well-being, but we neglect others, focusing on others and the work of the Lord. Brandon, it is easy. You could spend all your time in your problems. You could spend all your time dealing with your life and never serve anyone else. But it's when you serve others that you find your purpose in God's work. It's when you serve others that you are most fulfilled as a Christian. It's the most satisfying thing to serve others. Are we striving so hard to bring honor and recognition to our name that we forget to bring honor to the Lord's name? We rush to new goals, right? When we finish to even do what God's already called us to do. So we have the problem of priorities. Letter C the problem of pleasure. Pleasure. So we have it very clear. Procrastination. Amen. Priorities. And then pleasure. So God says in verse 3, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lay waste. So this is where we're probably going to end. I just have to say it right now. Because the next message is a, a long passage, 5 to 11, where he gets into his command to the people. So what were they guilty of? I know it's kind of hard to dig in here, but it's, I think the actual wording tells us a little bit about it. The people were guilty of selfishness and covetousness. So the idea is, you're living comfortably in your homes while the house of the Lord lies in waste. That's what he's saying. Lies in ruins. Don't you think, here they are, Worshiping the Lord that day, and they're looking around like, wow, that's, they had to be under conviction immediately from that message. They felt rebuke. There was no denying here that they were selfishly taking care of themselves by showing indifference to the Lord. They were unconcerned about God's work while they work diligently to supply their own needs. You know, how would it go on the job and with your boss if you treated your work like you do God's house? 
how would you still have employment on the job? You see, we ought to be asking ourselves, you know why? Because God says it in verse 5, consider your ways, <laughs> right? We ought to ponder our ways, and that's the next section. But get back to this word, sealed houses, paneled houses. This was a sign of luxury, a sign of adornment. So you get the picture. Their houses were like, man, these are nice. Where'd you get that? You know, how'd you build that? This is great. And then let's go to God's house and it's all in ruins. He says, oh, ye, is it time for you? Remember now they say, the time has not come. And then God says, is it time for you to do this? So they were busying themselves, decorating and beautifying their homes. And this was a bitter indictment indeed. Now, the thing that we have to really understand and this is where we have to be careful, is that we get to look at the neighbors. We get to look at other people around us, and we're like, oh, man, you know, I should be able to have that too. And so they looked at the nations surrounding them because the nations, remember, were there. They saw the wealth and comfort of those living around them, and they wanted the same. But brethren, when we do that, think of this. We are blindly neg neglecting the only way to achieve true prosperity. The way to achieve true prosperity is through obedience to the Lord, not having a bunch of material wealth. Obedience, that's what God's getting them, has always been the key way to re receiving blessings from God. So what do we all have to do? We all have to get back to focusing in on the most important thing God has called us to do. Build his work, build his house, build his church. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. Brethren, he says, we're co-laborers with God. You are doing God's work when you're building his church, when you're involved in evangelism, when you're involved in teaching, when you're involved in discipleship, when you're faithful, when you're worshiping him and praying. We're going to be preaching about praying in the morning service. What a great ministry is prayer in God's house. And we have to believe, brethren, that if we obey the Lord, then all of our needs will be met. God is, is not going to lie. Go to Matthew 6.33, the New Testament counterpart. You know that one. Do you think God's going to fail you if you put him first? 
Look what he says. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, brethren, when we say the kingdom of God, the church has the keys of the kingdom. This is God's institution. The kingdom is bigger than the church. It's spiritual right now. And one day it will be a literal millennial kingdom. But we, as a church, are building the kingdom. Amen? And he says, put him first. And what? All these things should be added unto you. And then you go back up and verses 19 all the way down. Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon the earth. Where moss, moth and rust doth corrupt. And where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Amen. And brethren, the only things that go to heaven are spiritual things. Amen. Not material. Even this flesh. Even this corruptible would be putting on the incorruptible. A new body. An incorruptible body before I enter heaven. That's you. Amen. If you're saved. So let's get back to the first priority. Let's lay aside the pleasures of this life. Let's lay aside procrastination. And do God's work. Let's pray. Father, it's been good to be reminded once again of your calling upon our lives. Even though you made this call in 520 B.C., 